As the song says, it's time for war. This is the 11 Dubcast. Andy Vance joining you alongside Johnny Genner. The week we have been waiting for all year long has arrived. Ohio State and Michigan head-to-head. The Clash of the Titans, game of the century. Number two versus number three, 11-0 on both sides. All the cookies on the table for the taking. Johnny, could it get any better than this? No, this is the way the Ohio State-Michigan game should be. This is what we want. And and look, we've rehashed the argument about whether or not, you know, Michigan should lose every game versus they should be really good going into the game. And I look, I, I think a week like this is the ultimate argument that you want both teams to be in a pretty good spot going to last week of the season because the excitement level, the entertainment value, the meaning behind it, it is completely unmatched. If Michigan goes into this thing, you know, 0 and 11 or whatever, uh, nobody cares. All right. But by the fact that they are undefeated, Ohio State is undefeated. It's for a Big Ten championship berth. It's for a potential college football playoff berth. Like that means something. And you, you can't, you know, no matter how many layers of irony or, I don't know, you know, things that you want to put on top of it that try to separate the game from, you know, the sport, I guess this makes it permanently relevant. And I love that about it. So yeah, this is awesome. This is great. The team is clearly dialed in. They've had their annual uh, visit with the best damn band in the land. The videos of CJ Stroud conducting the band uh, made the rounds on social media Monday morning. Fantastic. As always, one of my favorite traditions, we uh, spent part of the weekend on campus, took a drive around campus with our nine-year-old daughter who was delighted at all of the red X's over the M's on campus signage and buildings. Uh, and then when we stopped for breakfast at Hangover Easy and there was a, a young student over uh, in the corner with a roll of red tape in his lap, she <laughs> said, Daddy, there's the guy that covered up all the M's like he was a big hero because, you know, not, he is all a hero. Hero, not all heroes wear capes, right? That's right. Uh, you can tell that this week is different because Ryan Day said during his uh, press availability on Monday that they didn't do the normal celebration uh, over Maryland. And you notice that we skipped over Maryland entirely to go right into this game. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of the conversation, he said, with the team was about rivalry week. He also talked about the fact that they're moving senior tackle to bowl practices instead of doing it this week because all the focus is on that team up north. Does this feel any different for a team that has been, uh, you know, derided basically for a whole year, not being tough enough to win at Michigan? What kind of vibe are you getting as our resident chronicler of all things <laughs> maize and blue, uh, how these two teams are approaching this? What's what's the vibe? What's your spidey sense tell you about <laughs> how these teams are are feeling going into the only game that matters this week? I think that. Well, first of all, my spidey sense is, is not a particularly reliable sense. I'm, I'm going to put that out there right now. I, well, I, yeah, if I mean, you I, and if I are both with... children of the Cooper era, so we're automatically That's assuming right. the worst possible outcome just exactly by right. dint of our shared, you know, traumatic stress over <laughs> our upbringing. But go ahead. <laughs> no, I mean, but that's right. And and so, you know, right now, I mean, we're recording this on Monday. So my my general anxiety level is pretty low. But by the time we get to Friday, it's going to be through the roof. My pulse is going to be like at 150 at all times, no matter what I'm doing. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that 
obviously this is something that Ohio State's been building towards for an entire year, right? And that happens anytime Ohio State loses to Michigan. Like you don't you don't get that taste out of your mouth by whatever bowl game you might win or how the regular season, the subsequent regular season might go. There's no way to write that wrong except by beating Michigan. So that's I, that inertia, that that level of anger and and you know wanting to rectify a wrong that that doesn't go away. That doesn't change. Michigan, I think goes into this. It's a really interesting, I don't know. It's a really interesting feel to this because, you know, they beat Ohio state last year. They win the big 10 championship. They get into the college football playoff and they get skunked like really badly. And it's not, they weren't really competitive in that game at all. And so it almost feels like because of Michigan's, performances like the way that they have played in the last half of the season and and really since the beginning of um you know big 10 conference play uh, where they've played lackluster in the first half and yeah they've turned it on in the second half but they really haven't played any good teams and yes you can say the same about ohio state in a lot of ways but um to me it almost feels like michigan is kind of in this just happy to be here kind of mode if that makes sense because I, I think a lot of the fans and a lot of the, the people around understand that, you know, no, their, their running game really, you know, isn't multidimensional and it really relies on one guy. Uh, their passing game is non-existent occasionally. And maybe their defense isn't, while still good, isn't quite as good in, a lot, in some ways as it was last year. Um, so I, to me, it almost feels like they're bracing for something, whereas Ohio State le- looks like it's building to something. And, you know, we'll see. I mean, I don't want to take anything away. I, I don't like using these platitudes as a basis for uh, predictions and who's going to win a game. But I, I really do feel like the momentum, at least in terms of like emotional momentum, is on Ohio State side right now. Interesting set of things that you break up, bring up, and I want to talk through most of them because we're going to devote this hour to breaking down what we should expect this weekend. One of the things that just jumped out at me is, the strength of schedule that Michigan's played. You mentioned it a mm-hmm. moment ago. And when you look at uh, the data, ESPN analytics says Michigan has played the second weakest non-conference schedule in the football bowl subdivision this season with home games against Colorado state, Hawaii, and Yukon UCLA, the only team in the FBS. So out of 131 teams, <laughs> only UCLA paid a, played a weaker non-conference schedule uh, that Notre Dame win Ohio State has doesn't look nearly so bad now as it did a month ago. Um, and when you look at, you know, the the conference games, okay, uh, six of the same conference foes both teams played. But beyond that, uh, Colorado State, Hawaii, and UConn are not really great indicators. And Ohio State, um, you know, I think has had impressive performances against some of the same teams that Ohio state that uh, Michigan did play in the the conference schedule. This is not a great, there's not a great record here of being able to look at Michigan and be like, man, they've really been tested. They haven't Mm -hmm. been yet. Have they? No. I mean, I, in some ways they have, I guess in the sense that like, you know, they've got to pull out wins in the second half and and make adjustments at halftime and that kind of thing. I mean, yes, Illinois, I guess. I mean, we could talk about the Illinois game, right? Is that right? And and winning close games test so far. Yeah. And winning close games is a test. I mean, granted, you're not playing a murderer's row, but the fact that you have to win and and kind of 
you know, gut out of a game where you could easily make a mistake and lose. I mean, that, that is valuable, I think, to a team's uh, psyche and and their, uh, their practice and, and playing against maybe tougher opponents. But in general, I mean, if you think about the kind of passing attack that Ohio state can bring to bear, right. I mean, not since really, I mean, you could say possibly Maryland, right. When Tagovailoa was, was still uninjured and, and, you know, the wide receivers were looking good. I mean, that, that might be the closest approximation that Michigan's played uh, in terms of an opposing passing game. And that was in like middle of September. So the, that's the problem for Michigan. And and look, Ohio state's got its own problems and we can get into all that. And there's, you know, this is not an open and shut case. Although I do think spoiler alert that Ohio state's got the inside track to win this game. Um, but, you know, they really haven't done anything and it's not really their fault, but they, they haven't played a team that can prepare them for what Ohio state is capable of doing on offense. And so that's, it's going to be a really interesting, um, it's going to be a really interesting first 15 minutes of the game, because that's going to tell you so much about how the rest of the game is going to unfold. Well, I want to talk uh, about that though, because one of the things that strikes me about being an interesting similarity between these two teams, because they are very different teams in many, if not most ways, mm-hmm. one area where I think they are frighteningly similar is having by and large, pretty lackluster first halves of football games pretty much all season long. Yeah. Neither team has really come out and consistently played an opening set that just puts teams away. Right. Michigan has, has struggled. God knows if you're an Ohio state fan, <laughs> you know, you, you have, you have probably uh, thrown things and or said uh, things that shouldn't be repeated in mixed company more than once during the first half of Ohio state football. So I'm really curious to see just how much we can tell about these two teams in the first 30 minutes, because I mean, my gosh, neither in neither case, now Michigan has just blown teams out in the second half mm-hmm. by and large. Uh, and certainly obviously Ohio state has come on and in many cases won these things in the last, you know, 15 minutes, uh, or less. So, I mean, what do you, what do you envision happening when you've got two teams that seem like they just can't get out of their own way in the first 30 minutes going toe to toe finally? I think, I mean, I think Ohio state can make a statement early. And the thing is, you know, Michigan, has dominated in the second half of these games. And and part of it was because they're, you know, a lot deeper on the lines than their opponents. And they were able to kind of impose their will and a running game that isn't designed to play from behind, honestly. Um, But I guess my point would be if Ohio state gets, you know, to a two score lead, right. In the first 15 minutes, that is unbelievably difficult for Michigan to come back from. Uh, if that's if that holds through halftime, because they're not they're not a team constructed to play from behind. They they want to dictate pace. They want to dictate tempo. And you know if you look at a lot of their um, if you look at a lot of their their second half success, right? That they've had against teams, um, you know, where before the Illinois game was you know 117 to three in their previous like five games or something like that. Um, if you look at that, it's not so much that they're coming out and just hitting on every single drive, like bang, 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 and then just putting in their you know backups and then whatever, who cares? They're 
a taking advantage of their opponent's miscues against Rutgers, for example, there were like three turnovers in the third quarter that allowed, you know, Michigan to, to really salt that game away. Um, so they're taking advantage of that. They're grinding down opponents with the running game, which again, if it works, it works. It's not a, a terrible strategy, uh, but it, it also eats up a lot of clock and, and they're not, like perfect on these drives, they will get into their opponent's red zone and stall out and then settle for, for a field goal. Um, you know, Jake Moody had to kick three fourth quarter field goals to get Good Michigan Lord. that win. And, and if he misses on one of those, they lose the game, right? If, if Illinois scores, you know, just one field goal in the fourth quarter, they win the game. Yeah. Um. So that's what I'm talking about. Like, this is not a, this is not a, uh, an offense that's efficient in the sense that every drive is, um, you know, every drive is gangbusters because it's not. They they have a ton of stinkers in there. It's just that the drives that they do connect on go for eighty five yards in you know seven minutes. So you know if you can avoid, if you can avoid that, or even if you can't avoid that, if you can get ahead of them, that's not a recipe for success for Michigan because what they have to do then is go up tempo try to throw the ball a little bit more. And that's just, they're not comfortable doing that at all. So get up on them early and uh, force them to try to like throw themselves back in the game. That's, that's very difficult for them. Ohio state's team on the other hand can obviously come from behind. They, they are built to be able to play from behind if need be because the sure. vaunted passing attack. Uh, one thing that I think you can say about Michigan, uh, excellent running team, no question about it. Not the best passing team in the country, which I would say, I want to say they're a bad passing team. I, I'm even going to go that far, honestly. Not 99th in the country in average passing yards per game. So I'd yeah. say you're you're not exactly going out on a limb there. Now, you know, to put this in context, they're only the fifth worst in the Big Ten. So that could tell you something <laughs> about the yeah. quality of passing attacks in the Big right. Ten Conference. They've only thrown, this blows my mind, 16 touchdown passes as a team. Mm-hmm. limited to less than 170 passing yards on five occasions this season and only thrown for 300 or more twice. I, you know, the good news about this little set of factoids is I think this plays really well into Ohio State's defensive strengths and and uh, vulnerabilities. The The matchup here is fairly favorable to the Buckeyes. Would you, would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Well, it depends on how much success that they're getting on the ground because – the problem is that Ohio state is going to have to worry about a little bit. And a lot of this rests on how healthy Blake Corum actually is. I mean, if Blake Corum, who I think will play, I mean, I, I know, you know, he was obviously banged up against Illinois, but there, and there were some videos but, of him, but I've there. read on some message boards that he's not going to play Johnny. What are you talking about? Uh, d- yeah. Okay. I, <laughs> I will, I will not believe a single thing about uh, his status or really anyone's status until literally kickoff. And even not even till then, because, you know, somebody might come in the second quarter and then play for the rest of the game. Like nobody yeah. knows. Um, so let's say he can play. All right, let's say Blake Quorum can play and he's at least reasonably effective. The thing is, is that what makes him so dangerous is his consistency. He is not a home run hitter, okay? A lot of Michigan fans have been talking about for like Heisman and stuff. I guess if being, you know, a B running back and nothing less than that, and then occasionally a B plus running back is Heisman worthy, then yeah, maybe he deserves the Heisman. The thing is, he doesn't have to be a great running back. 
He just has to be a very, very good one mm-hmm. all the time. And that's what he's been this year is that he's going to get you five, five and a half yards of carry. And that's that's pretty much it. But he'll just keep doing that. And, and over the course of a game, over the course of 25, you know, 30 carries, that adds up. That's a lot of yards. Um, so what makes him dangerous, I think, for Ohio State's defense is like, you know, this isn't a defense built to stop dudes cold at the line of scrimmage. Okay. And Blake Quorum's a guy who will just keep going, get the extra yards, get the extra yards. You, you want to force Michigan into second and long, third and long. And then they're just completely, I think, inept in a lot of ways. Um, Blake Quorum's the guy that gets them away from that. So you, you really, yes, I think they're built to bottle them up. The problem is, is that he will still probably give Michigan, if he's healthy, he will still probably give Michigan, Michigan a lot of second and short, second and medium, second and short, you know, third and short situations. And that, that can make things a lot more difficult on the defense. Um, on the other hand, you've got, you know, you've got guys like Lathan Ransom, right? You know, Ryan Hickman, who are playing really well, especially against the run, but just, you know, making life miserable for opponents who are trying to do, you know, like a little crossing pattern. Like, let's say Luke Schoomaker over there, the tight end uh, for Michigan's uh, available to play, and he's out there. He's going to have a really difficult time, I think, on Saturday, uh, just because of the way the defense plays. And then, you know, I'm not worried at all about guys like Ronnie Bell or Cornelius Johnson, because frankly, they've been really, really underwhelming this year. Um, Point long story short, right? Here's my point. It all goes through Blake Corum. If he gets them in favorable second down, third down yardage, they're a much different team offensively than if they can't get that. Uh, why, why he's been so good and so valuable is that he's been basically perfect this year and getting them into short yardage situations in second and third down. Yeah, I look at uh, the situation with the passing game there because the thing we've said about Ohio State's defense all year long is the vulnerabilities were were cornerback play uh and, and you know gosh and this will be a big topic of discussion if and when ohio state uh, makes it into the college football playoffs you know what does the passing attack look like because they haven't necessarily faced a ton of great passing teams certainly maryland uh made their bones passing against ohio state but the thing that gives me some comfort about them facing a blake quorum in particular is Ohio State has been really effective at stuffing the run so far. They have held teams to well under 100 yards running pretty much all season long. It's been really impressive. So, you know, Corum has been great, although I agree with you. He's not a Heisman contender. Uh, He's not going to be at full health, it looks like, you know, if he plays at all. I'm like you. I'm assuming everybody's playing until they don't actually play. But Mm -hmm. I, I, I think this plays into Ohio State's uh, hand a little bit on that side of the ball. My question for you is I'm now looking at these statistics and learning that Michigan has the number one defense in the country, despite the fact that, you know, they lost the number two overall, uh, pick to the NFL draft last season, the single season sacks leader from last year's team and Aiden Hutchinson, they, uh, lose David Ajabo. I, I mean, you would have expected this defense to take a massive step backward. That does not appear to have been the case. Well, they're also playing garbage offenses. I mean, that's, (laughs) I I really think. I mean, is it really that simple? I think it is. I mean, again, they're, they're a very good defense. I'm not saying they're not a good defense. I don't want, I don't want to give that impression. Uh, They're not the best defense in the country. And they, 
you know, again, you look at especially like the passing games that they've played. I mean, they have just trash <laughs> passing offenses. Yeah. Um, you know, the 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 defenses that or the offenses that they play just in general um have just been not good. And um it's kind of wild because you know, I gotta say, watching the Illinois game, uh, what Tommy DeVito was able to do, what Brett Bielema was able to do, they did some really interesting things on offense that put Michigan's defense in very uncomfortable positions for them, where especially, especially their safeties and cornerbacks were clearly not enjoying the the uh, the fighting Illini experience. And and you know, Illinois didn't have the the whiteouts and you know Tommy Vito did his best, but it, just not the talent to take advantage of what was happening. But you saw guys frequently out of position, biting on fakes, um, you know, getting completely just like whooped at the line of scrimmage by quick throws and outs. It, those are the kind of things that Ryan Day lives on. And um, I, if, if Ohio State can control the line of scrimmage, uh, there are so many things that I think they can do to that defense, uh, at least in the passing game and the defensive secondary, that they just have not seen um, at all, really, this entire season. And, you know, something that I forget who was making this point. It might have been uh, us last week or, or maybe um, uh, I heard it on radio or something like that. But a lot of it, too, is um, like who you're practicing against, right? Mm-hmm. And they're not practicing against an elite passing offense. They're not practicing against elite wide receivers on a regular basis. Um, that that really, I think, does hurt them in a lot of ways. And so they're going to be seeing, you know, guys and you know Marvin Harrison, who's probably the most talented wide receiver in the country, yeah. and then Emeka Buka, who's unbelievable. And if Julian Fleming can, you know, <laughs> put some stick them on his gloves, uh, and then of course you got Kate Silver. You, you've got a point is you got a combination of some very 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 good wide receivers that's just a talent level above anything that they've really seen this season Mm -hmm. and this is the worst possible time uh for that to happen for them uh because it's just you know they they have no preparation there's no way to build up to that and that's really difficult yeah it's really interesting too i'm thinking about the posturing going into this game michigan uh, in its team media availabilities on monday i was reading some of the comments from head coach Jim Harbaugh and and a handful of players that were trotted out for the local press up there. There wasn't any bulletin board material so far this week, Johnny. Like <laughs> when, when you, when you see how they're behaving, you know, Harbaugh was nothing but, you know, coach speak and, and uh, you know, gracious uh, as far as, he's able to be, but repeatedly talking about what an honor it is to be in this position. And Ohio state's really good. They're a very strong team. They're an improved team, tremendous team. I mean, it was a lot of soft soap coaching talk. Mm-hmm. How much cock of the walk do they have? You know, how much swag is the kids say these days? How confident do you think they are, after really taking Ohio State to the woodshed this year, do you do you think? I mean, in your sense, in listening to them uh, or or reading their comments, do they feel like they can go out there and and take this Ohio State team? Because Ohio State has not exactly been putting teams away, you know, week in week out here after the. Yeah, bye I week. mean. No, that's a fair point. And I don't want to give the impression that I think Ohio State just wins this in a complete walk or anything like that, because Michigan, their real talent is in the offensive and defensive lines. Um, I mean, you've got Blake Corum again, who's an excellent player. Uh, but the fact that, I mean, their offensive line is really, really great. Their defensive line is, 
you know, I'm surprised at how good they are, though. If if they don't have, um, I think Mike Miller uh, back there, that's going to be difficult for them. But um, uh, the biggest thing is, you know, I think before the Illinois game, um, they might have been able to write off a lot of the deficiencies that I kind of wrote about in threat level. Is just like, all right, well, this is. You know, they're saving something or maybe JJ is just not focused or blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, when they got into a situation where they absolutely had to basically, you know, do everything possible to win. Right. It wasn't, you know, people talking about like quorum on the sidelines and going, oh, well, if he really needed to come in, you know, he would have it would have been fine. Like, no, he actually really needed to come in. (laughs) They really needed that dude there and they didn't have him. And, you know, that's that's a kitchen sink kind of situation. And they just did not. Uh, deliver really that well and yeah they escaped with a win but man I mean that's that's you want to look a lot better than that going to the game so I think prior to this past weekend they they would have been feeling their oats a little bit more I think Illinois was a wake-up call which is you know there are a lot of things that need to go really well uh, for Michigan um, going into this and and yeah I've read some of like the message boards and, and some of the the articles and stuff and you know I think a lot of Michigan fans are kind of realistic about this and going yeah you know what the line's like seven and a half eight sounds about right right on the road against a quality opponent um rivalry yeah that's that sounds about right so I don't you know what I don't really see a whole lot of arrogance or uh you know maybe unearned confidence out of Ann Arbor right now I think they're probably where they should be and I'm not sure if I think that fills me with confidence or dread, you know, right. like, <laughs> like if they were doing a little more pride goat before the fall here, I, I think I might feel a little yeah, bit right. Better. The fact that they're being like humble and quasi normal yeah. <laughs> fills me with a weird sense of disquiet. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about as we shift our attention from the opponent to the home team what the hell happened at Maryland this last weekend, Johnny? Let's talk about Ohio State. Uh, it was kind of spooky Saturday as all four of the top four struggled. Tennessee got its head handed to it, uh, South Carolina. Was it just a really weird Saturday out there, or are there just a lot of teams that, you know, are not complete, perfect world beaters like you tend to expect from at least one team there's not been a team that's really emerged as oh my god those guys are the second coming of nick saban's greatest dynasty or anything like that sure i i mean i think you know i was watching this and going like ah, you know <laughs> they'll put it together they'll figure it out i i really think that not having the running game and any kind of sorts really did hurt um ohio state i, I think that's teams are keying in on what they're able to do offensively. And I, you know, <laughs> you Talia Talia uh Tiger going out there and, and just kind of balling out. That's that's something that just happens, right? Yeah. The low percentage throws, the stuff that you see, I don't I don't think that's really an indictment of Ohio State's defense. Um, that's just okay, he's he's performing in a way he had not performed, you know, basically since coming back from injury at all, maybe the best he'd played all year. Uh, that's just, you're going to have to deal with that a little bit. He he really played way over his head for most of the game. And, and I think Ohio state did as well as they could. Um, I, I really do think it's the lack of running game that kind of hamstrings a lot of this. And you kind of saw, you know, part of it's because, um, 
you know, maybe the, the offensive line needing to get the rear in gear or something like that. But a lot of it really, I think was just personnel and, and, you know, Henderson, you, you want to see that dude healthy and effective, but um, he just clearly wasn't it. And, and once Dallin Hayden got in, you saw a huge change in the tenor of the game. Right. And, and it, went from, okay, Ohio state's really in danger mode here to, Oh, okay. <laughs> They'll be okay. They'll be fine. And having just even a mediocre running game, because Hayden, as much as I like the dude, he's not, you know, he's not a world beater. I mean, he's, he's a good running back, but right now he's, he's not, you know, he's not going to run for eight yards of care or anything like that. Um, you just need something competent there. And once they got that, I think they performed a lot better. The so, random Ohio State fan in me has to ask why on earth Henderson started that game last week. It, it, I don't know. They did <laughs> That's not, a great question. <laughs> they did not need him. And, and, and you know, I, I mean, I would I would take this back. Like I, one of the frustrations I think I have with the staff, and, and by the way, let me preface this by saying there are a lot of insane people, both – you know, in the comments on our site and and more generally out there on Twitter or Reddit or wherever Ohio State fans congregate online, a lot of insane people are like, oh, Ryan Day this, Ryan Day that, and he's stubborn and he's not a this and he's not a that, and they don't like how he does whatever. People just need to get on out of here with most of that nonsense. However, mm-hmm. comma, I think one super valid criticism is why on earth Jackson Smith and Jigba was rushed back to play earlier in the season. Right. And why Travion Henderson started at Maryland when in both cases, neither man was necessary to win the ball game. And, and, you know, in fact, you could make the argument that playing both of those guys when they were not needed is ultimately to the detriment of the team. Because can you imagine this offense with fully healthy Travion Henderson and fully healthy Jackson Smith and Jigba? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's a and and as great as they are, that that's still that's a dimension that um, it would be really really hard to beat in a lot of ways. Um, and you know, here's the thing: I also think there's a certain when you have an injury, there's certain tentativeness that comes back with that when you're trying to make sure that you're okay and whatnot. And and I do think obviously Henderson was injured. I'm not trying to say that he was just you know, no, he's on the sideline in a walking boot. I mean, yeah, he he didn't forget how to play running back, right? Like he can you know he he can still ball out. He knows what he's doing. Um, But I'm with you, man. I thought that was a really really odd decision. And maybe you're just like, okay, we're going to be in a dogfight on the road. We want to go with a guy that we trust. Um, But (laughs) you know. I think the proof is in the pudding. You got to trust Alan Hayden at this point. And, yeah. and, and, and look, he, I mean, to me, his trust to, to me, the trust in him is justified. Like, I don't know what they're seeing yeah. weekend week out of practice, but you know, dude walked into that game and, and reeled off 146 yards. He's yeah. had at least three games this season uh, and two in a row now where he's topped hundred yards rushing as a true freshman. I'm not saying he's the second coming of Archie Griffin or anything like that. Don't get me. Don't get me. That's wrong. pretty damn good. But but he's done very well every time they've needed him this season. Right. I think I'd have given the young buck the start, if nothing else, just to protect a more important asset in theory for mm-hmm. the biggest game of the season. Uh, I'm I'm going to be, I think, a little concerned if Mayan Williams isn't isn't ready to go mm-hmm. uh, because I think he really is the most to me. He's the best running back of the three. Uh, well, there's also a lot of depth issues there because if like i mean if if mine williams can't go then it's it's dallin hayden and xavier johnson and professor that's x what, yes that's right that's what you that's what you got at that at that position and you know 
Hey, yes. hey, you know what? I, now you say that, Johnny, but I saw Steel Chambers score a touchdown. <laughs> he wouldn't Maryland. You know what? And I bet, and I bet he would he would be fine with being pressed into service if completely necessary. But you know, you don't want it to get to that point. So you know, Ohio State won a national championship using three quarterbacks. They one did. Year. I'm old enough to remember. So why not uh, five running backs? Who knows? Yeah. I I I think the Maryland game was interesting for a variety of reasons. Um, one, I think, you know, that's probably the most, um, effective passing offense that Ohio state's going to see until the playoff. Mm. Uh, there's no, the, you know, Michigan doesn't have that passing offense. They don't have a tag of Iowa back there, uh, nope. slinging the rock and making just insane plays. You aren't going to see it in the big 10 championship game, regardless of who that ends up being. So it's not until the playoffs. So I, I'm maybe a little less, you know, worried about, about some of those things that we have been talking about relative to Maryland specifically, I am a little concerned about the rushing game generally. So with the depth issue in specific, you know, if you had to put a DEFCON on this for you personally, mm. how scared are you DEFCON one to DEFCON five uh, about Ohio state's ability to run the ball this Saturday specifically? Probably two. It's pretty high. I mean, remember, and, and people def, need to def, remember DEFCON one is that's right. You know, most we're pushing extreme, the button. <laughs> yeah. nuclear war imminent DEFCON. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it really does hinge on that. And and the thing is, I mean, I've been kind of like talking down Michigan this entire time. They can still win this game. And, and I, I want to make that very, very clear. Michigan is good enough on the offensive defensive side of the line. Okay to really, I think, change almost the tenor of any game, any opponent. That, that's how good they are, particularly on offensive line. They, they, can, they can really do a lot of really interesting things on offensive line. Well, they can do everything on offensive line. That's, that's really what it comes down to. They have a great offensive line that can cover up a lot of deficiencies, um, force teams to play really, really well because you know they can play the field position game, all that kind of stuff. And defensive line, I called him Mike Miller earlier. I meant to say Mike Morris, who has had a really great uh, year. If he's healthy and able to play, uh, he's an unbelievably disruptive force. Um, the point is, is that I really do believe that football games in general are one in the trenches. Michigan is very, very adept at controlling the trenches. They, they have a great uh, set of guys who just want to get in there and mess things up. And to me, if Ohio State isn't able to establish a running game, especially early, that gives Michigan life that gives them hope to say, okay, we don't have to convert on every single drive because we know Ohio state isn't going to either. Right. And now we're forcing uh, CJ Stroud into, um, you know, more dangerous throws, maybe making him press a little bit, maybe making him run a little bit. If he turns the ball over, then things start to snowball and get more difficult for Ohio state. And um, that's, that's where the danger is. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of at, at, Def, at, at DEFCON too, because um, I, I think it's critically important that they establish the run. They don't have to be great running the ball early, but I think they have to at least establish it um, to hopefully give uh, CJ Stroud and, and the wide receivers uh, some room to just cook and, and score some points early. That, that to me is critical. Marvin Harrison was named among the 12 finalists, semifinalists rather, for the Blitnikoff Award, uh, recognized the nation's top wide receiver. You know, to me, he's the best in the business. Um, that said, you know, the passing game at Maryland was not necessarily the same passing game we have seen all season long, neither Harrison mm. nor Emeka Buka, who have been the clear workhorses of this uh, of this offense. 
uh, at least aerially speaking. Neither one of them cracked 100 yards receiving. Um, just an off day for them at Maryland or, you know, Stroud not feeling it. What What's your evaluation? I, I'm not sure if I would have, uh, you know, felt much better about things if they'd gone out there and, you know, thrown for 400 or not, but uh, certainly would have maybe liked to see them a little better through the air than they were. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you want them to look a little more crisp. Um, You know, I don't know. I I do think that is maybe something to think about, right? Like, are they able to get out there and and do what they need to do? With that said, there is recent evidence that they can go out and and ball out, right? Like throwing the ball. It's the Indiana game. They look great, right? Yeah, they looked incredible in Indiana. And then, yes, Northwestern was played in, you know, tropical storm force winds. So I'm I'm comfortable, I think, at this point, kind of throwing that one out. Oh, yeah, then, that's that's the outlier you toss. You know, you toss the top score and the bottom score to, yeah. and take the average. That's the one that's we're right. tossing out for sure. And then the game before that, they threw for over 350 yards against a Penn State team that's generally pretty good. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's something to maybe pay attention to, but – the talent level is so high. I mean, it's, I mean, you see what Marvin Harrison's able to do on a regular basis. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I really, I really don't think that there's anything that Michigan DBs can compare him to that they've played against. And I, even if CJ Stroud's not having a great game, even if, you know, he's not super accurate and, and his accuracy has gone down a little bit, I think this season than, than what we've, become accustomed to seeing from the dude um he's just so dangerous and and you have to put at least two guys on him at all times so um just by him being on the field it changes the tenor of the game and even if it's not the best passing attack in the world it's still enough like that was the thing i was thinking about the iowa game right and it's like yeah remember when Ohio State kind of struggled against Iowa, you know, offensively. And then I'm like, what was the score of that Iowa game? I forget. Oh, yeah. It's 54 to 10. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Okay. Yes. They benefited from, you know, defensive scores and things like that. But that's what I'm talking about. Even if things aren't functioning on all cylinders, um, the level of talent and the ability to score points in bunches is kind of insane. And uh, that doesn't go away if you have a less than perfect game when you have that kind of skill level. So I'm more worried about the running game just not being present at all than I am the passing game, maybe not being up to snuff. I think you said something there that we really haven't talked about, but you mentioned defensive scoring as part of the equation. When you look at some of Ohio State's final margins, we had that again Saturday at Maryland, Lathan Ransom for the second week in a row, blocking a punt steal. Chambers, uh, you know, scoops uh, a fumble up and and gets it into the end zone. You know, special teams haven't necessarily been the strongest uh, for Ohio State, all things considered. You know, you had a block extra point, but but my where I'm going with this mentioning the block punt and and Chambers uh, scooping up that fumble and scoring with it is Ohio State's. Uh, defense and and now it's punt block unit as part of this. They've done a really nice job of being disruptive and creating opportunities to score aside from just the offense getting to the end zone, mm-hmm. uh, which which I think is something that that disruptive ability, those kind of chaos plays, if you will, I mean, that that's something that's hard for 
uh, teams to come back from, right? You know, you look yeah. at Maryland is in position to potentially put this uh, thing away as a one-score victory, a one-point victory. They've, they're they're down by just six, and they've got the ball and plenty of time, really, no timeouts, but plenty of time to move the ball down the field. <laughs> and Chambers recovers the fumble. You know, they force the fumble. He recovers it. They go into the end zone, and all of a sudden, it's a double-digit victory. Yeah, I, that that's one of those things I think is hard to discount because they've done it now a few different times. You've had two block punts. You've had what there was a two game stretch there where would we have ten turnovers in two games? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just really some crazy, crazy disruptive plays from those units. Am am I right in thinking Jim Knowles now one of the fifteen semifinalists for the Broyles Award should be one of the finalists for the Broyles Award pretty handily? Yeah, I think so. I mean, you see just how they play in general it's it's just kind of crazy um what a coherent you know defensive philosophy will do for a team <laughs> and i think you know there there's still some depth issues to maybe think about and you know guys who maybe haven't played up to their full potential yet although you know we said this i think maybe last week but you look at jack sawyer he's really come on strong yes. in the last Jack Harrison half. my god oh and you know what that's a dude I'm really glad people are uh, pointing this out on Twitter uh, afterwards because a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, he's he's not really lived up to it. He's not doing great. He's done amazingly well in the uh, in the rush defense, you know, part of that game. And uh, people don't give him a lot of credit for that. But he's he's done a great job at, you know, doing what he needs to do and in his role in that defense. And it's nice to see the guy get a little bit of, uh, you know, sexy plays too, that, that people will pay attention to because he really, I think has played very well this season, uh, just in a way that maybe people don't necessarily appreciate. So that's, well, that was cool. I really like that. This is um, one of the things that was almost a knock on Knowles when they brought him in that, that I heard several times that, you know, Ohio state's bread and butter defensively here in recent years was having these, freakish defensive ends mm-hmm. chase young the boza brothers and so on and that you weren't going to see those same kinds of eye-popping you know sports center type plays and stat lines from your defensive ends anymore because Knowles' style of defense and his schemes are are different and yet you know here we are late in the season and and i'd argue you know harrison maybe you're not comparing him to the bozos or the young i think to chase young i think those are generational talents so you don't just have those year in year out like ohio state seemingly did for <laughs> that four or five years there but i right. but i think you can see as harrison you know points out here and saw you're coming on you can see guys really make a name for themselves uh up front in this defense and doing things I I'm with you. I was really glad to see Harrison start to get some of his due because early in the season, people were definitely like, Oh yeah, man. Oh, yeah. They were definitely dogging the dude. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, and the thing is, is that when it comes together, you know, as, as we've kind of seen with this defense, it, it it's night and day. It makes all the difference in the world. And I, you know, I thought, especially uh, I like how they kind of, uh, introed, um, the, uh, the Maryland Ohio state deal where it's like, remember, remember the last time <laughs> this, this kind of went down, you know, and, and, and uh, Maryland, how, you know, what the outcome of that game looked like and, and what that was involving and all that. I, I just felt like, you know, if you've gotten the kind of game 
that we saw last weekend with last year's defense, there's a very good chance Ohio State loses that. And, you know, because the defense was able to get key stops and, and do some things that they wouldn't normally be or wouldn't have been able to do last season, uh, they come out with a win and they don't look great. But, uh, you know, the defense is just playing so much better. And it, it makes a it makes the games more fun to watch because you don't feel this, you know, <laughs> you know, pit in your stomach every time the opponent has the ball. Um, but it also gives them a chance to beat teams with superior talent and really great talent. And um, that's, that's definitely uh, a testament to what Knowles has been able to do in a very short period of time. Looking uh, ahead here, we'll finish up the show kind of putting out our predictions for the game. We'll come to that a little bit later on, as well as talk about some recruiting news, but I want to turn our attention to, uh, you know, a couple of our favorite segments of the program. Yeah, let's do it. A, uh, before we get to ask us anything, we're going to go to the the newest segment of the program, the Bet Jack Parlay. Uh, I want to remind you, of course, that the Dubcast is brought to you by BetJack.com uh, or the Bet Jack app, which I encourage you to go and download as I did. Bet Jack, of course, is uh, the Ohio sports book that is designed by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans like you and I bet Jack Ohio sports book, giving away two tickets to the game on Saturday, plus a one night hotel stay in Columbus. For more details, visit betjack.com or download the mobile app. The way the bet Jack parlay works, of course, is we've got a series of games, uh, propositions that my partner crime here has selected, and we're going to make our picks. Johnny, what do you have for us to bet this week? You know what? There's some really interesting games this weekend beyond Ohio State and Michigan. So I, I, it would behoove you as a college football fan to pay attention to all of them and, and maybe see if you can, uh, you know, <laughs> hashtag get rich, um, but only by fading, you know, the picks of terrible people. Um, so <laughs> not that we'd know anything about that. Or not anything. that we would know anything about that. Uh, so, you know what? I want to start out with the, the Notre Dame USC matchup which I find incredibly fascinating because if you think about it, right. And, and how this whole, you know, college football playoff thing might shake out and, and where the teams might be and all that kind of stuff. USC is out here, maybe thinking about uh, causing some chaos, making some noise. I don't know. So right now, five and a half point favorite against Notre Dame, a resurgent Notre Dame. How do you feel about that one? Where are they playing this one? That's at USC at USC. Oh, okay. So I, so I like that. Uh, you know, if you if you did this via SP plus, which is, you know, is my kind of default setting that give USC a 10 point advantage at home. Um, mm-hmm. The line you say is five and a half, five and a half. Oh, yeah. I'm taking USC all day on this one. I, I do think it's an interesting game because uh, Notre Dame, you know, has the chance here of of spoiling a potential playoff berth for USC. Mm-hmm. Certainly that's a game that, you know, has bet that, that's got a lot of juice in it because you've got they're two of the all-time great brands. USC, you know, they've got a lot of pressure. 10 and 1 here um because they're kind of on the outside looking in right now for a playoff berth. They need help ahead of them obviously. Uh yep. they got to win out obviously win their conference so on, but I, you know, it's they're they are not they're a much better offensive team than they are defense. And we've talked about this a yes. few times this season where you have these some of these teams out there. Tennessee is a perfect and recent relevant <laughs> example yeah. where one of the best offenses in the country, uh, but defensively they're light years behind. And USC special teams are 
uh, one of the worst efficiently uh, in terms of efficiency and the entire FBS. So uh, it is a game where, you know, I think Notre Dame will have their chances, um, but on the road, you know, in the Coliseum, I'm, I'm going to take the Trojans. Yeah. I would, I would take the, uh, the Trojans and the points on that one. I, I think that they, they will kind of, I mean, it'll be tough. I think it'll be tough for the first couple quarters. At least I think Notre Dame's a game team right now. I think, you know, uh, Freeman's figured out some things with them, which is, I, I like that. I appreciate it. I think it's cool to see. Yeah. Great growth. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's interesting to see. It'll be a really interesting game to see how that kind of plays out. Another one that I think is a little interesting just because of my morbid curiosity, I think at this point, but LSU at Texas at Tay. <laughs> and by the way, okay. So we were making jokes about UMass, right? And yeah. I told people, I told people to slam that for UMass and you would have made some cash. Had you listened <laughs> to old Johnny, because that game was hilariously close going oh. into the end of the game. Um, and yes, Texas A&M pulled out the win, but holy crap. I think they were what, like 30 some point favorites. Yeah, yeah it was. Uh, did not. I don't even know there was that many points combined in the game. Um, so yeah, I, I right now uh lsu they're they're on the road they're 10 point favorites um i think they're gonna annihilate the aggies and uh i i would say way more than 10 yeah i totally with that i 100 and i you know it pains me to to say anything good about a brian kelly coach team <laughs> but yeah they're you're exactly right no yeah. no argument at all yeah, I find that one uh, that one pretty fun. I'm gonna go with so here's here's one that this is kind of like my uh, I don't know I I don't want to say necessarily like my secondary rooting interest, but I think they have a really cool fight song and I enjoy I enjoy kind of following uh, their foibles a little bit. So um, right now, so Utah State at Boise State, Utah State the uh, another Aggies. Uh, they we are got a definite theme this week. <laughs> that's right. Uh, they're at Boise State. Uh, 16 point dogs to Boise state. I, I want, I want the Aggies to be good. Um, but I think Boise state is just one of those teams that people have kind of like forgot about because they're not, you know, the, the college football's like guys and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think, I think Boise state at home pulls that one off. The uh, look at it and, and you said it right. I mean, Boise state, God, they were the darlings. Oh, yeah, for a long time. Yeah. People love to talk about them. Um, I think they are going to run wild over the Aggies actually. Um, in this case, the Aggies are not great no, uh, no. at all. 84th <laughs> most efficient uh, offense, 106th defense. Um, you know, I would probably on a neutral field give, give Boise state a 17 point advantage on this. So mm -hmm. yeah, I would, I would take Boise and uh, not think twice about it. Yep. And then uh, this is kind of interesting, Florida and Florida state, right? Just because of the relative uh, position of both teams, uh, Florida state is at home. They're the nine point favorites. I think Florida is like kind of sneaky bad. <laughs> yeah. Some I don't, people, some don't... people might think they, some people are like, Oh, they're Florida. They, you know, they're, they're now I think they're actually bad. And I think no, Florida I state's going to win that by a, a, a good margin. Uh, they playing that one in they playing that one in Tallahassee. They are. Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, I would give that what's the line, uh, nine points. <sighs> See if it was, if it was six and a half or seven, I would take it. Oh man. I take I it. have, I have no question that Florida state's going to win the game. Yeah. 
Florida, Florida would make me sweat. I think this is one where the numbers tell me to go with the Gators, but I'm I'm going to go with the home team on this one. There you go. Which annoys the hell out of me. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm going to I'm going to go against my gut. My gut is to take my gut is to take uh, Florida here because of the data, but this is one of those where I think sometimes you have to you have to be smart. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with the Seminoles. There you go. All right, Johnny, this has been fun. I love this. Okay, the Bet Jack Parlay in the books for another week. Remember, Bet Jack, Ohio Sportsbook. You can visit the website betjack.com or download the mobile app, Bet Jack, the only sports book designed by Ohio sports fans for Ohio sports fans. All right, let's wrap this thing up, my friend. Uh, time to come down. We've we've just given our picks for a bunch of other games. Uh, we're going to finish this one with our picks for the Buckeye game. Before we do, I do want to touch on some recruiting news. Monday, four-star 23 quarterback Brock, Brock Glenn decommits from the Buckeyes, flipping his commitment to the aforementioned Seminoles. So boo, hiss, boo, hiss. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't get normally terribly jacked up about recruiting news, but it does it does kind of, you know, make me feel uh, not warm, fuzzy feelings when a top quarterback departs the week of the Michigan game. Uh, how do you feel about this one? I feel a little sad, but on the other hand, I mean, you know, I got to feel there are higher, uh, more intelligent powers here that understand <laughs> this whole this whole recruiting thing a little bit better than I do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and yes, Ohio State's going to lose out on recruits, and we've seen that. And that's, that's it happens. That's, it happens. It's part of life. But just given the fact that they've hit on so many others and have been able to put together these insane recruiting classes, mm -hmm. um, I'm not super worried about. It. I mean, there are definitely holes sometimes where you're like, oh well, they really could have used another defensive lineman, or maybe they need another guard in the class, or something like that. But in general, I think they've done a pretty good job of making sure that they uh stay on top of that by the way you know it is it is uh michigan week and, and there are some very pressing questions uh for ask us anything i'm glad you mentioned that it. my friend i knew there was something i was forgetting and shame on me for it being the best part of the show we no 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 it's, it's understandable it's a high pressure situation we're getting into it. it's it's you know it's all nervous sweat right now it but is I, I, do gotta God, say, I haven't done that all i have i have never once in all of the years that i have been doing the show with you forgotten ask us anything i was going to plow right by this i was sitting here pondering what my score prediction for the game was going to be god help me <laughs> all right all right get us back on the straight and narrow my friend what's in the mailbag all right let's do it so you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com let's start with our good friend alvin do you have any traditions you follow with your family or friends when watching the game or do you just lock yourself up uh, to watch the game by yourself I mean, it's pretty close to that. I, yeah, <laughs> I am, I am not a good, I am not necessarily a good person to watch Ohio State football with generally. I'm not either. I'm not either. Uh, and, and I think it just goes back to that shared experience that, that you and I, being men of a certain age, had mm -hmm. growing up during the Cooper era. So you always sort of like have this niggling thing in the back of your mind where you assume the worst is going to happen. Um, in particularly with this game, I mean, and, and so, uh, yeah, I'm not very pleasant to be around um, during, and particularly now. You know, if Ohio State races out to three a three touchdown lead, fine. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe you know, then I'll be a little more more chill than that. Um, but no, and then I don't really have any great traditions in that regard either. I do tend to like to put on some marching band. Um, you know, I'll have a jersey. Uh, I have a jersey on. 
but I don't have any like, uh, you know, oh, these are my lucky socks or right. I have to, you know, go here to eat or there to the night before. And I, nothing quite, nothing quite as ritualistic as that. It's pretty much batten down the hatches and, <laughs> you know, focus on the task at hand. Yeah. My, my traditions involve like sitting on the same spot on the couch and, and like, staring holes into the tv screen until ohio state wins and then like you know subconsciously forgetting to breathe you know yeah like oh, oh, oh gotta got some more oxygen need some of that yeah that pretty um, well covers it yeah so i i really am just too nervous and anxious especially during uh the the michigan game to uh to really want to be particularly social it's it's just it's it's not it's too nervy i i can't enjoy it around other people like that i just i need to see the win and then get out of there um this is from kevin who by the way has done us the uh the the great uh service of xing out or replacing all the m's with x's in his question i will not read them as x's i will read them as normal but i do i just want to say kevin i appreciate your effort um <laughs> guys do you think cj stroud will have enough time to pass against michigan i think it will be the key to the game i think he will um michigan generated almost no pass rush against illinois and that's part of why tommy devito was able to do some uh some things against their secondary because he really had a lot of time and yes you know ohio state's a little gimpy on the offensive line um but i just think that they will be able to handle uh, the pass rush. It's it's more about whether or not they'll be able to run the ball consistently in my eyes, but I think they will have enough time to throw the ball. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I don't think that has been a huge problem for Ohio State generally this year. You know, by and large, C.J. Stroud's been able to stay upright and mobile. Uh, he hasn't found himself um you know on the turf too many times this season and and i i don't expect that to change this weekend i agree with what you were saying earlier in your analysis that their you know their line play is very strong on both sides of the ball but um i feel i, I probably feel more confident about ohio state's pass protection even than i do their um their run blocking from oh, yeah, this offensive definitely line. And, and i mean we've said that for a couple of years now but i sure i think that's i think that's true of this game yeah, uh, last one here is from uh, Matt, who uh, says, are we the baddies? <laughs> uh, which is a reference to the uh, Mitchell and Webb sketch where you've got the Nazis and one's like, wait a minute, everybody's <laughs> booing. Are we the baddies? Uh, it's a pretty funny sketch, although I don't know, you know, just one of those those uh, those weird British proclivities of just kind of like undercutting the humor by adding like a ridiculous laugh track, you know, on <laughs> I don't know why that's anyway. First of all, no, Ohio State's not the baddies. We're no. not Nazis. We're not freaking Nazis. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I really hope not. Nazis <laughs> yeah. Right. <burn> hell. <laughs> um, no, I don't think we're the baddies. I, I think the, if there are true baddies in college football, right. It, it's, it's the people who are using those positions of power to do really terrible things, not necessarily teams that other, fan bases don't like because they're too good you know what i mean like there, there's yeah. there's annoying teams that that you might be sick of and that's fine i'll i'll accept that and and you know i'll accept that uh scarlet letter i guess from from other teams and then there's like truly bad people who just you know should not be around yeah. sports or other people or anyone in general and those are the baddies and so i think you know i even wrote about this a few weeks ago with the whole you know assault basically in, in michigan's tunnels like you've got to really learn to separate that i think sometimes as as fans and i'm not saying you're doing this matt but i'm saying like as a college football culture in general i think sometimes we tend to conflate the two which is 
you know, there are these truly bad people and also these truly bad fan bases or teams or something like that. You know what? No, they're not really comparable. They're not. And so Ohio State might be disliked by a huge portion of uh, the college football, you know, fandom, uh, whatever. And that's fine. I'll accept that. But, you know, when you look at some of these quality dudes on this team, you know, like human beings who are just really, really great. You look at, you know, learn about the Cameron Babb story and, and how Ryan Day handled, you know, things with Harry Miller and how Harry Ma- Miller handled everything. Um, these are quality human beings. These are really great people. And uh, no, they're not the baddies. They're awesome. Totally agree. Uh, Ohio State, it, to use the analogy here, you know, Ohio State is uh, uh, the the good side of the force and Michigan is the dark side of the force. That's, that's yeah. all you need to that's know. Right. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> right. Ignore everything I just said. Michigan actually is evil and... <laughs> <laughs> needs to be thrown into the fires of Mount Doom. This is where I. This is where we need that British laugh track. See, because I, I, right. I, 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 I did some funny stuff. That your favorite? Did. What do you? Your favorite British uh, sitcom? Do you have one? Favorite? Favorite British like humor? Oh, um, I mean, I, I mean, so, okay. So Blockbuster in Middletown had the complete set of Monty Python, and yeah, I think sure. over the course of a summer, my dad just spent every weekend checking out one or two of those VHS tapes, and we just watched. I, I've watched literally the entirety of Monty Python probably twice at this point. And I, I thought it was just brilliant. So yeah, I, I think between that and the movies, um, yeah, it's, it's Monty Python. I don't really think it's close. I mean, people really love the office, the original office, and that's kind of its own thing. And it's, it's good. And uh, Armando Iannucci, like, I think he's unbelievable, you know, like in the thick of it and in the loop and, you know, Veep and all that kind of stuff. He's he's brilliant, but no, it's Monty Python and and pretty much everybody else running a distant second. I I hesitate to say this because it is not in any way, shape, or form um, politically correct these days. But I absolutely grew up on Benny Hill. No oh, gosh, so, like I I grew up learning to love British humor. I guess. Uh-huh. <laughs> Benny Hill and like, are you being served? Like for whatever reason, those were all. Yeah. Faulty, I mean, you know, faulty towers was obviously a huge thing. Black yeah. hat. I mean, there's some great stuff I, there. I'm, I yeah. feel like, I feel like channel 45, like Fox 45 out of Dayton. <laughs> I know had, had Benny Hill and yeah, because like in little Hillsborough, Ohio, we could get some of the Cincinnati station, some of the time, mm-hmm. some of the Dayton station, some of the time. Right. And yep. some of the Columbus stations, some of the time. And we had, you know, we lived out on the farm and we kind of lived up on a little rise here. So you, you, we had the antenna with the little rotor box. Now people who are younger than about 40 will have no idea what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. but you would go over and there was this box that sat on top of your television and it had a big knob on it. And you would turn that knob to a certain uh, heading on the compass and it would literally turn an antenna on top of a tower out behind your house mm-hmm. that would point toward wherever you wanted the TV station to come from. So we'd point that antenna toward Cincinnati and get Cincinnati TV stations and Dayton to get and so on. So Fox 45 out of Dayton was more often than not the station that we seemed to get the clearest most of the time. And like at 10 o'clock at night, they were running for whatever reason, like Benny Hill, are you being served? Some of those great, like old British sitcoms. Uh, or what, I don't know, you don't call Benny Hill a sitcom, I guess, but whatever you would call that. And I just thought they were hilarious. Uh, one of the more recent ones, the, you know, God bless um, all the apps uh, that you have on your TV now. 
uh, I downloaded one called BritBox, and mm-hmm. I was watching this this uh, hilarious. I think it's hilarious. My daughter and I think it's hilarious. My wife thinks it's the dumbest thing she's ever seen. Uh, <laughs> the Snowy Mrs. Vance is not necessarily a favor of British humor, but uh-huh. the show is called Keeping Up Appearances. Oh, I've heard that's pretty good. Yeah, it's hilarious. And to tell you, like, just how funny it is. Like one of the central running gags, the the couple's name it centers on this really pretentious. Um, you know, sort of middle, maybe, maybe even lower middle class, I guess, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, couple. And he, you know, like works for the town council or something along those lines, has a very just sort of normal, um, you know, day, work a day, nine to five type job. But she wants everyone to think she's a member of the peerage. Sure. Uh, and very, you know, like, Oh, geez. Over the top, like trying to in this, the show title is called Keeping Up Appearances. Her name is Hyacinth. And the last name of this couple is spelled B-U-C-K-E-T, Bucket. Mm-hmm. She pronounces it Bouquet. So you know, there's this running gag, you know, that the postman comes up and be like, got a package for Mrs. Bucket? She's like, it's Bouquet. And it's just hilarious. And so like that gives you the kind of idea of the the, the sort of humor that's at play here. Right. Uh, so those are anyway, we got, I don't know how you got me on British humor. Uh, but you did, and congratulations, because now I've given everyone a wonderful uh, way to kill some time between now and Thanksgiving. Yeah, Going exactly. Up, See? Uh, either Old Benny Hill Clips or Hyacinth Bouquet and Keeping Up Appearances. And let us know your favorite British humor, TV, movie, whatever it happens to be, in the comments below. That'll be fantastic. What else you got for us, Johnny? <laughs> well, that's that's it for this week. But I do want to say, and, and this is a question that I have for you, what, you know, I feel like you can't talk about the game without a little nostalgia, right? Yeah, yeah. So aside, I want to, I'm going to eliminate a couple of editions. You can't oh, talk about I 2006. I knew you were going to do it. Cause that's yeah, the one you can't you talk, about, one I was you can't talk, talk about. about. You can't talk about any of them leading up to a national championship. Uh, what is your favorite memory from a non like critical edition of the game? I, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say favorite um, memory per se. What I am going to say is, is because since I was talking about my childhood, um, and you know, growing up during the Cooper era, one of my favorite friends as a kid growing up, and I'm doing like, you know, like elementary school, like where you would still go over to somebody's house to play. Um, one of my favorite friends, we share a birthday. He just chose to be a Michigan fan. And there's no ties to the university of Michigan. A lot, a lot of Southwestern Ohio kids doing that. I yeah. Mean. Yeah. Like just this, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be different because including, everyone else, by the way, including Brady Hoke from Kettering, Ohio. From I Kettering, think a lot of Ohio. people don't realize that yep. ultimate Wolverine contrarian from Southwestern Ohio, Brady Hoke. Yeah. I mean, well, look, um, all of Michigan's best players uh, and coaches came from Ohio. Right. I mean, you that's just, that's right. the, and Brady Hoke. Yeah, and, and Brady Hoke. Yeah, I wasn't including him. <laughs> yeah, I realized that may have sound like I was including him in that. Uh, no, I wasn't. I was referring more to uh, to, to a certain uh, rival of the great Woody Hayes. Anyway, so my buddy um, chose to be a Michigan fan. And so pretty much every year when we were kids, he got to come into school the Monday after the game and just crow up his sleeve about Ohio State getting its head handed to him again. And mm-hmm. it just like that stuck with me all those years that we would come to school. And I, you know, I'd we'd go into that weekend with me being like, oh, you know, let me tell you, Ohio State's gonna mm-hmm, and Ohio State never did. 
it felt like. So, like, that's, for whatever reason, that has always stuck with me. Him wearing his Michigan starter jacket and me just wanting so badly to be able to put him in his place about Ohio State, you know, finally getting past Michigan. And it just, thank you, John Cooper, never happened. Right. Yeah. Wah, wah, I, wah. You know what? Uh, I will have to say, and this is like, again, just kind of one of those, like, you know, and this is a critical game. I don't try and take anything away from it, but I, I will say this simple pleasures of um, uh, 2005, right? Where Ohio State, you're like, all right, regress back to the mean. They had a really great run, you know, but, you know, sometimes you got to play on the road. You got to lose to Michigan. That's just how things go. And then they come out and they pull that win out of their ass. And I remember sitting, I was over at a friend's house watching it. I was in college. And we're all just like super depressed until like the, you know, the very end of the game. And we're just kind of sitting collapsed into various couches and chairs. And um, I remember going like, you know, this isn't the worst thing in the world. I grew up in the nineties. High state doesn't have to win all of these games. And then they won that game. And I went and I started thinking like, maybe they will win all of these games <laughs> maybe that's maybe this is gonna happen maybe this is a new normal and then they want to you know they would go off obviously and just completely dominate rich rod and yeah. you know most of brady hoke and i was like huh but i i think that was the first time i really thought i was like something's different like you know in 2004 they had won when they were underdogs and, and that was hilarious and i was in the stands for that game and that was that was great but really in 2005 was the first time that i remember hang out with my friends and kind of we're looking around a little bit and going like this something seems different now than what we grew up with something seems a little like it feels like ohio state is like something clicked some something got figured out and uh i just i don't know i that was a really really fun game because i i genuinely thought like regression back to the mean you know okay ohio state had its fun but now mission's gonna win a bunch and then I thought afterwards, I was like, no, I actually had a really great time. And I don't think Michigan's going to beat Ohio State for a very long time. And they didn't. And um, I don't know. That was a really fun game. I enjoyed that. It, that collective moment of realization that Ohio State really could be the you know, hegemony that we wanted them to be. Um, that was pretty cool. So, And you know what? As I said in threat level, this is what makes this game, you know, that's coming up on Saturday such a big deal is because it feels like we're at a crossroads, right? If Michigan is able to win this thing, right? And, and, and Harbaugh can get some momentum going. Ryan day is going to have a losing record against Michigan. It feels like things might actually change in the big 10. Um, maybe Michigan has enough juice to start pulling together all these recruiting classes. Maybe they can be consistently, you know, a, a challenger for the college football playoff on a year to year basis. Uh, maybe all of that's on the table for them, uh, depending, you know, if Harbaugh actually decides to stay. But if Ryan Day can reassert Ohio State dominance, um, I, I don't know. I mean, this is like the high watermark for Michigan maybe ever. So um, this is a big one. This is a huge, huge game with a lot of implications, I think, for a very long time. And I'm excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, I think you just, yeah, you summed it up. This game is huge. Uh, I think a huge inflection point would be would be the word i would use uh but i have to say despite all of my baked in you know child of the 90s uh, 80s and 90s uh, trepidation about this history is on ohio state's side in this one let me run some numbers by you here which i think is 
really fascinating. This is thanks to somebody over at uh, the college football uh, subreddit. 1942, number five, Ohio State beats number four, Michigan, 21 to seven. 1968, number two, Ohio State beats number four, Michigan, 50 to 14. Number 1970, number five, Ohio State beats number four, Michigan, 20 to seven. 1974, number four, Ohio State beats number three, Michigan, 22 to 10. 2006, number one, Ohio State over number two, Michigan, 42 to 39 in the game of the century. And in 2016, number two, Ohio State beats number three, Michigan, 30 to 27 in double overtime with JT Barrett converting on fourth and one. The spot was good. When these two teams come into this blender in the top five on both sides of the ledger, Ohio State does not lose. Yeah. Mark it down. Ohio State walks away with this one victorious. I'm going to call my shot and say the Buckeyes roll 35 to I'm going to call it 14. Johnny, what do you got? I'm just going to give I'm going to give uh, Michigan a little bit more juice offensively just because I don't know what weird voodoo magic might actually end up. You know, (laughs) maybe maybe Blake Corum's knee will be magically healed. I don't know. Maybe JJ McCarthy, they decide to do a bunch of RPO stuff and then he runs for 150 yards. I don't know. But I, I think that their offense will be better than it should be just because I don't, I don't know. I, <laughs> there's no reason why it should be on paper. They should be terrible. And that's exactly why I think they're going to be better than I think. So I'm with you, at least in terms of, of maybe something close to the margin. I think Ohio state wins this though, 35, 21. And, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a nail biter into the second half. And then Ohio state just kind of steps on the pedal and, 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 you know, when's this thing going away towards the end. Friends, it is uh, absolutely the best time of the year. The only game that matters all season long is upon us. We will be back next week to break it down and talk about where Ohio state goes from there in theory onto a big 10 championship. If not, we'll know the reason why. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast.